tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. On today's episode of How to OT, I sit down with Maggie Fleeta, one of my classmates. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So Maggie is actually our, our show's dance specialist and expert. You also are a Chicago Cubs fan, right? From Chicago. From Chicago. Okay, well... <laughs> Take it or leave it. Score one for the St. Louis <laughs> Cardinals. I know there's a big rivalry there. But needless to say, Maggie is an awesome classmate, an awesome student, and I'd say an awesome person, too. Oh, you're too kind. You're talking me up too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Let me damper expert expectations a little bit. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about uh, Maggie's doctoral research project called Effects of Improvisational Dance on Cognition and Daily Function Among People with Parkinson's Disease. And I want to ask to start things off, was there something or someone that inspired you to take on this project? When I first came into the program as a first year, um, I always knew that older adults was just a population that interested me as a whole. And when we started learning about all the different mentors that we had to choose from, Erin Foster and her work with Parkinson's disease was something that really inspired me. And someone that has danced my whole life and continues to dance in a professional company here in St. Louis um, throughout my time in school. Dance is just something that will never leave me also and something that I'm really passionate about and interested in. And you would always see all the different videos of dance for people with Parkinson's disease, dance for children with disabilities. And it just kept making my mind spin of, yeah, they have these programs, but what are the actual effects that it's having on people? Like, what does that look like scientifically? So my questions and Aaron's expertise and field of interest just really meshed well together and we were able to create a project together. That's awesome. And right off the bat, just reading the title to this project catches my attention. You mentioned you have a background in dance. How long have you been dancing for? Since the age of three. I didn't start taking it seriously probably until the age of nine. Um, and that's when I was in the studio for hours and hours each week. Danced in college and then continued. I thought it was over in college. But moved to St. Louis, realized that I couldn't live without that kind of art form and just expression in my life. And I found a company and auditioned and... Here I am, still dancing. Whether my body likes it or not, my joints are feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it's been a meaningful occupation for you throughout yeah. your whole entire lifespan to, to this point. Absolutely. Uh, I love that dancing is an art form. And you hear people say all the time that occupational therapy is a science and an art. And you are quite literally bringing an art into occupational therapy but also there's science to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's what it comes down to. Our profession, um, that's what's pushing it to go past its barriers and get better and more well-known just in the community in general. And I think that it's that hard science is what we really need to be focusing on to get it there. Uh, and so anything to get that. Absolutely. That, that's what we're here for. That's mm -hmm. why we record. A lot of people may not be familiar with the amount of research and work looking up this hard science and finding evidence to support what you do that goes into a doctoral research project. 
can you share with us some of what you found in your literature review and background research for this project? Yeah, absolutely. So Parkinson's disease as a whole is pretty well studied just in different disciplines throughout the healthcare profession. A lot of them focus, though, on those motor impacts and implications and symptoms that people experience, which, yes, Parkinson's disease is considered a motor disorder, but it's also a, it's more of a movement plus disorder. So what that means is there's also cognitive and affective symptoms that people experience with the disorder that isn't quite as well known because that's not what you see on the outside when you see someone with Parkinson's disease. Um, So a lot of the literature looks into those motor impacts. The research is pretty sound in the fact that medication and physical exercise are the two things that help maintain function, potentially decrease symptoms, and keep people as independent as possible. Something that isn't quite as well researched is the cognitive aspect. So people experience issues with processing speed, executive functioning, visuospatial awareness. I mean, that's something that Dr. Foster's lab is really focusing on addressing and identifying what kind of interventions can be effective in those cognitive issues that people are experiencing. And so in your background research, were you able to find evidence on how dance is effective for those cognitive deficits associated with Parkinson's as well as the motor components? Yeah. So dance more specifically, um, because it is in some realms kind of a form of exercise. A lot of the literature has found for the motor impacts that it helps with gait quality and balance, which are two big things um, that you need to be considering when working with someone with Parkinson's disease because falls are a big risk factor for this population specifically. Um, In terms of cognition, the verdict is kind of out. There's been a lot of indiscrepancies in the findings that have been um, published, at least. Um, Some research has done it more as like a secondary measure with cognition, so motor first and cognition second. And Sometimes they find significant findings, sometimes they don't. So there was this call in a lot of the literature I was looking into of, we need to be looking at this more. Um, So it's just kind of finding how are we going to access it and finding that proper method to go through that process. That's where you come in with your project, correct? Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Can you go ahead and walk us through the design of this program that you developed? Yeah, absolutely. So the program in and of itself actually comes from a method developed out of a group of researchers out of North Carolina. Um, Most of them are associated with Wake Forest University. Um, So Christina Soriano. Is that what they are? I think so. The (laughs) Demon Deacons. I'd roll with it. (laughs) You could say whatever and I would believe you. They should be the dancing deacons. They should be. We'll write a letter. (laughs) Wait for that one, president of Wake Forest University. <laughs> but they developed this method years back, and it was originally developed for people with Parkinson's disease. So they developed it for a research study that they had designed. They looked at some of the motor impacts that it would have. And since then, that method has been broadened. So this past summer, it was used um, with a group of children in Ghana that had cerebral palsy. They use it in intergenerational programs so children and adults put together so it's really for all ages and all ability levels which I think is awesome because it just promotes people of all abilities to be able to come together in one thing and be unified in one thing to be able to create some end product. 
for my project specifically, we use this method. My design changed quite a lot. Research is a challenging thing, and a lot of road bumps came up. Just I think being a student, too, there's just timing issues that come up. But what we ended up doing was we had a single group pre-test, post-test design. So this group of nine participants um, came together. They d- went through some pre-testing. Then they came through the intervention process, which consisted of 12 classes that met weekly every Monday. We spent an hour of time together um, performing this intervention and in the class, and then they were post-tested after that was finished. And we had two participants that unfortunately didn't quite meet the standards for the MOCA score. Um, Their cognition was just a little bit lower than what we had for our cutoff. But they still participated in the class just because they were really interested in it and eager for an opportunity to continue moving. And some of the other classes just weren't accessible enough for them. So we had them take class with us and we all had a really great time and I really enjoyed getting to know those participants and work with them more on that one-on-one basis. That's awesome. And it seems really cool that you were able to incorporate something you're already so passionate about and that you already have this high level of expertise in and do a doctoral research project on it. I'm sure that was such a cool experience for you. Yeah, I'm really fortunate that it worked out the way it did. Can you go ahead and take us through what one of those typical class sessions would look like? What kind of intervention are you doing with participants? Yeah, so we all start in a seated position in a chair and we sit in a circle um, that eliminates any kind of feelings of hierarchy by having people at the front of the class because typically like the better ones go to the front in a typical dance class. But in this one, we all stay in a circle just to eliminate any of those kind of feelings. We try to create an environment that is judgment-free. That's the biggest thing in any kind of improvisational class, whether it's acting or dancing. Um, And so we start with a seated warm-up. We have fun music going on in the background that's fun for all ages and decades. And then I go ahead and I lead us through the whole class. So I'll be providing different cues that people can interpret however they like. So if I were to say, I want you to move your arm in circles, that can look so many different ways. You could be moving through your shoulder, you could be moving through your elbow, you can be moving through your wrist or your finger, you could be going forward, you can be going backward. It's just all about trying to keep kind of like adding some spice onto the movement. So we never want them to get bored. We want them to just be thinking about different things and how creative can they be with this cue versus this cue. Um, And we always have different students also there with me. So I had a group of four of us students, including myself. And I think that was really helpful so that people didn't always follow me. Because I think when you go into a dance class, you're always just following the instructor, especially if it's not something that you're comfortable with. So I always like having different people there so people can see, oh, maybe this is an idea that I can take and run with and see how creative I can get with it. So I think it built a good foundation for my participants um, to move with that creativity. It sounds like a great classroom environment for people to be learning. And you explained some of the movements that people would be doing. Can you explain a little bit more about this improvisational aspect of it Mm -hmm. and kind of tell us some more cues that you would give? Yeah, so improvisational dance or movement, I like to use the term movement because dance can be a little off-putting to some people. They're like, I'm not a dancer, I can't do that, but anyone can do improvisational movement. 
Um, so improvisational movement is thought of and executed on the spot. So it's either through a verbal cue that I would give or maybe through an environmental cue or maybe you hear something in the music that your body just wants to respond in a certain way. Um, So just to go back, the class setup, we start seated. We do a warm-up seated. Then we stand up and we use our arms to support ourselves on the chair and we do a little bit of standing bar work, which is just kind of um, pushing our balance just a little bit more getting moving more on our feet and starting to feel that sensation of more of that upright standing position. And then we go into more of an across the floor kind of work where we are moving throughout the classroom, interacting with other people in the room, and then we ultimately unseat it again. So it comes full circle. But so some of those other cues might be, I want you to write your name in the air with your elbow. It gets them thinking about so many different things of like motor planning, memory, attention, attention to detail and all of those things. So that's another one. Or maybe I want you to walk throughout the room and I want you to inhale as you stop and I want you to exhale as you walk. So we start to incorporate some of those breathing techniques also into movement that could hopefully be taken out into their everyday life. Some of those methods. Um, it, It sounds like it's really effective at engaging multiple aspects of someone's cognition and coupling that with movement. It sounds like it has a really solid basis and potential to be an effective intervention to help people with Parkinson's disease. Yeah, I think Christina Soriano did a wonderful job in developing this method. You could tell there's so much thought and care into every single cue and just design of her class structure. So I applaud her. And someone doesn't have to be an expert or experienced dancer to do this, correct? No, not to do this at all. Um, My parents have done it. My dad, he'll say he's a great dancer. I would. (laughs) The verdict's maybe still out on that one. He has a lot of passion. I'll give him that. But yeah, anyone can do this no matter what their ability level is. Is her program called Improvement? Yes. So that's the method that they developed. That's the method that they developed. And that's the name that I've been using. Okay. Because I was trained in it. That's also another thing of anyone can potentially teach this method. Um, They have annual um, training sessions that they host, so they're open to any kind of like health profession, dance professional that want to come in and learn this method. Very cool. And what were some of the key outcomes of improvement that you saw? So we were assessing cognition and daily function, and daily function was basically made up of just participation and performance in everyday life. Um, So with cognition, through some of our assessment battery, we found significant increases in processing speed, which was really exciting, as well as attention. Um, So some things that are definitely, they can implicate how someone is performing in their everyday life. And we were able to take that even further. So when we looked at um, our participation and performance, we found that people were reporting that they were perceiving their participation as a lot more optimal and increased. Um, so that was a, another significant finding that we found, which was really reassuring. So yeah. what is it about improvisational movement that you think leads to these benefits in processing speed and attention? Yeah, so the way that the class runs, you are just firing off cues as fast as you can. And I think that that 
helps also in terms of like that cue didn't make sense to me or maybe I didn't hear that or maybe I didn't understand it well that's okay we're done with that we're moving on so it gets people out of their head a lot more which I think is something that's really helpful in that I think that that processing speed is comes from that quick delivery of cues Um, you're given information you just have to run with it given run go run and you don't have time to just sit back and like overanalyze things and think about things quite so much that sounds like it can also ha- potentially have a lot of mental health benefits. Um, yeah. And participants are reporting a higher level of participation. Yeah. Maybe they're feeling less anxious, less depressed, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, that's actually interesting that you bring that up. So the doctorate student who's a year younger than us or below us in our curriculum and the master's student who is also in the year below us they actually joined my project and they were in the classes with me, but they created their own outcome measures of mood and they measured it both pre and post test in different questionnaires, but then they also measured it pre and post class. So each individual class that we met and they found some really significant findings of just overall well-being and mood just from attending class. And I think that it helps to be able to come together in a room of X amount of people and just kind of share those ideas and laughs. We always kept it lighthearted. We were always joking with participants and I think that made it enjoyable for them. That's great. Attitude does have such a large impact on outcomes as well. Yeah. I want to ask if you could share an example maybe from your class or a story of how you saw this intervention positively impact one of your participants. Okay. So I have one participant that I'm thinking about specifically in my head. She unfortunately had a fall during the intervention, not in my class, but um, outside of class. And she had called me later that day and was like almost near tears that she was like, I just don't want to miss this class. Like, I really want to be there. And her husband actually came and brought her. She wasn't able to participate in it, unfortunately, because she was still kind of banged up and just... Um, I think a little hesitant, too, of just not wanting to push her balance quite too much. But it was just really special to see her come in, get teary just by seeing us all, just sit and watch and just be in the presence of the class. And participants were giving her hugs and just sending her well wishes. They had all thought about putting a card together, and they gave that to her actually when she came to class. Um, So I think just to be able to see the community that I helped to facilitate grow um, was really rewarding. And she actually still messages me every once in a while and talks about how much she misses my class and misses seeing all of us, which is fun. First off, that's so sweet. And to me, it's a testament of how effective this intervention can be and that you really are establishing a community and doing something that people enjoy and want Mm -hmm. to do to improve their lives. Yeah. There's also one more participant that comes to my head of Um, He was one of our lower cognitively functioning participants. And so some of the class was a little bit of, it was just harder for him, more of a challenge. And over the weeks, I kept seeing his wit come out. You could tell in his day, he was so spunky and so witty and fiery, but like it just wasn't processing quite as quickly for him um, as he was getting older and the disease was progressing. And I just remember there was one class where he, it's probably like our 10th or 11th class, so later in the session, his commentary was hysterical. He was making the whole class just laugh, and it was just, he would talk smart back to like my cues or something, and it was really funny and 
cool to see. Well, it wasn't a movement necessarily impact or improvement that I was seeing, but it was that wit coming back that you could tell was bottled up in him. Anecdotally, it sounds like you've been able to see how this program can influence people's cognition. So that's a that's a great example. Thank you. I want to ask you now some more personal or opinion based questions Mm, about your whole research journey. And to start off, I want to ask you, what have you enjoyed most about this project? I think the reason why I specifically even went into this project was because I was looking for something where I could be working with people in the community, but also be doing that hard research. Um, And I think this was the perfect fit for that. I love being able to work with actual people and see the implications of what an intervention can be doing. And I felt like this project, I was able to do that. It sounds like it was an awesome, positive experience. But as we both know, research isn't always easy. Um, What was difficult about completing this project? So we had plans for doing two waves of the study, having a control group. It was going to be a randomized control group, control trial, excuse me. Um, And that's just timing-wise when we left for fieldwork last summer and then had to come back and just all of a sudden go into a research project. It just didn't work out. And we had a control group actually pre-test this semester and were unable to post-test them because of COVID-19 mandates. Um, So... It's just been a much more fluid experience than I had expected. I think when you read research and literature, you just, you see what they did and you're like, oh, that was their path and they stuck with it the whole time and that's what they were able to publish. That's awesome. But it really does not work like that, which was a hard learning curve as someone who is more of that perfectionist. I'm a type A minus, I like to say. (laughs) Um, So just that was frustrating for me. How will this project influence your future practice and your future career decisions? Mm -hmm. That is a great question because we graduate kind of and I have no idea what I want to do after that. I'm so one way and then another if I'm depends on the day for me. Um, I always think that dance is going to have some sort of role in my life. Um, Specifically with this, I don't know that I'll be teaching dance quite as often, but I think that a lot of the things that I picked up on with this method specifically that I could take into a clinical practice and that anyone could really take into a clinical practice is the idea of creating that non-judgment environment. Um, I think that's a big principle to be taking into any kind of practice that you go into, Um, as well as really taking that time to get to know whatever your client is or whoever your client is um, and get to know them on that personal level and offer those kind of community resources to them because maybe this might be a good fit for them and it's not something that you can necessarily offer in a therapy clinical setting but something you can refer them out to. And is this project something you're gonna move forward with? After you graduate, are you going to continue to do research on improvisational dance? Yeah, I'd always like to have some sort of role in that. It's so hard to know what that looks like as like a new graduate. I don't, it's just hard for me to picture mentally. Um, I know that Aaron Foster's lab is going to continue some of the work with it next year, hopefully with the COVID-19 mandates, but 
I know that we for sure want to think about publishing this work. Um, so I will probably always have some sort of role, no matter where I am in the country or what I'm doing with my life and getting our research to that level and being able to disseminate it to a larger audience. That's great. And what do you hope occupational therapy practitioners take away from your research? Yeah, I think the importance of like that mind-body connection is something that I think is really important um, to be thinking about challenging not only physically but mentally and how those can be paired together. Um, and also that same thing of the non-judgment environment and maybe even being able to educate caregivers on that. Um, because if you're creating that kind of environment in the home, it might be less frustrating, less burden on the caregiver and optimize that relationship between the two. That's great advice. If you listen to how to OT season one, I asked all the researchers I had, I called it the golden nugget segment and would ask them what's one thing they wish everyone knew, um, in essence. And I would say probably about 50% of the people I interviewed talked about the importance of movement and incorporating movement into occupational therapy practice. And it seems like this is an intervention based off of that principle. How would you recommend that practitioners incorporate dance into encouraging clients to move? I think just when you're thinking about like our scope of practice, um, that whole idea of referring to possible community resources for people to engage in dance is probably the most realistic. Uh, if I had it my way, people would be dancing to and from their rooms, in their inpatient rehab units, but I just don't know that that's necessarily feasible. But um, I think giving those opportunities for movement, maybe not necessarily forcing that on them, um, is a good way to incorporate that into practice. So maybe you have music going in the background because everyone loves listening to some good oldie like Motown type music and that could potentially give opportunities for that dance or improvisational movement to just happen organically. I think that not forcing that upon someone is probably the biggest thing in terms of like a clinical idea. If someone wants to learn more about this program or would even like a copy of the improvement intervention to use, what should they do? Yeah, they can go ahead and go to the website, improvement.us. Um, that's where all of our research, resources, publications, videos, contact information is all at. Um, I think the best way to do that is to go through the actual creator, Christina Soriano, um, to get their foot in the door for that information. And unfortunately, our training was canceled for this past March, um, just due to different life events, but they're hoping to be able to reschedule it for the fall. So attending one of those training sessions would be really helpful. And that's improvement spelled I-M-P as in Peter, R-O-V as in Venus, M-E-N-T dot U-S. I should have said Victor. That's the... That's the one I was thinking. <laughs> that's okay though. Venus works, right? Venus works. Okay, it's almost time for our Golden Nugget segment. Okay. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to ask you if there's anyone you would like to thank or acknowledge in completing this research project. 
Yes, absolutely. Oh, where to start? I could not have done this on my own. Um, Dr. Aaron Foster, my mentor, um, anytime there was something that didn't go right and there was that bump in the road, she would talk me down and she got me through this, which I could not have done it without her. Um, also, our research coordinator, Tasha Doty, um, helps in the lab and anything IRB related. She was my go-to person and so helpful in that. We also had our research team of other OT students that involved Brianna Carter and Molly Cutler and Brittany Grimes. Um, they were my right and left and everything hand people that were in all classes with me and very supportive. Also, Trisha Creel was the physical therapist on staff at the APDA, American Parkinson's Disease Association in St. Louis, who attended all of our classes with us just to ensure safety with all of our participants. Um, so we couldn't have done that one without her. And then also my improvement team of Christina Soriano and Jesse Spanglet. They were so helpful in introducing this method to me. They invited me to their homes in North Carolina to train me in this, and I could not have done that without them. Golden nugget time, Mags. Okay. What's one thing you learned from this research that you wish everyone knew? Oh, well, research in general, research is just hard. It's not one straight and narrow line that you just follow. There's so many things that come up along the way, and you just have to roll with the punches. But that's really just what occupational therapy is as a whole, um, of just being flexible. From this research specifically, I think that we're doing a better job of this, but just giving that older adult population opportunities for any kind of movement and socialization. I think that sometimes we have that ageist view of, oh, they can't do that, they can't do this. Um, but really, there's so much that we still have to learn from that population and be able to supply for them to be able to maintain that optimal quality of life. Um, so not deterring that group of people from anything and giving them those opportunities to be able to participate more. I love that. Movement and socialization. Such important aspects of, mm -hmm. of occupation. Buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you now, though, if maybe you could give some improvisational dance cues to me and our listeners, and I'll stand up and try and do these movements, and yeah. our listeners can even follow along Absolutely. if they like. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, one of the um, research projects out of North Carolina is working on just using the verbal cues without the visual cues. So this oh. will be great. And, and in that case, would someone just like the visualize themselves completing those movements? So anytime I give a cue, I'm always doing it with them. But if I were to take that away, you would be a lot more in your head of like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's try that. Okay. So I won't do anything. Okay. Should I be sitting or standing? Whatever I already stood up. Yeah. You can okay. stay standing. Okay. I want you to conduct an orchestra. Oh, okay. With the mic. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And now conduct an orchestra for mice. Well, tiny mice. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I, I don't know if people heard my knees pop. Doing yeah. <laughs> conduct an orchestra for elephants. Okay. And conduct traffic. And go back to conducting an orchestra. Great, and conduct traffic for mice. 
perfect. You just improv moved. Improvisational moved. I don't know how that works. I don't know how the grammar works, but it was fun. <laughs> you did great. Uh, I feel reinvigorated That's always the one already. that makes people laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard not to laugh. I had to stop myself. Um, but thank you again. That was a fun example, too. Hopefully our listeners were able to try that out as well. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks for having me on this. Um, it was a bummer that our opportunity to be able to present our findings got canceled. Um, so this was a really great opportunity to be able to still share those findings that we found so thanks for sharing your platform with us students you're so welcome i know this research is worth celebrating and people need to know about it because it's really awesome so hopefully that's what we do yeah thank you so much appreciate it thanks for listening to how to ot tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you I'm very animated when I talk. So this, I move this. my hands a lot. I dance a lot when I talk. So that's we'll good. Be a good pair. Yeah, we'll be literally like doing part of your intervention during the interview yeah, with the dancing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> awesome. Every single day, every every single day. Hey, I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, I'm on vacation every single day. Every single day, everybody sour like a lemon tree. I'm just smiling down upon my enemies. Do the shit and love it on a daily. Say you hate your job, but you'll never leave. Never leave. But said it wasn't easy, but right now I'm living breezy. Build ascension from the ground up. Now my hands they ain't so greasy. Feel me? Hey, I'm on vacation. So thankful for everything Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need Open arms, embracing life and all the which you gave to me I work, it pays off, I'm happy now, it's paying me Close my eyes sometimes and feel as if I blow away I love the life, I live and enjoy the ride along the way I'll make a living out of living, yeah that's what I say I got one life to live and I wouldn't live in no other way Every single day, cause I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. Every single day, every every single day. Hey, I'm on vacation. Every single day, cause I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Should go and change it if you don't like your life then you should go and change it if you don't like your life then you should go and change it